So many authors fantasize about hitting the New York Times uh, bestseller list or other lists. In this lesson, I'm gonna show you how to do it uh, because I've done it many times and I've helped many other authors do it. But let me tell you this, if I do my job right in this module, you're gonna laugh at how ridiculous and stupid this process is. You're gonna close this module, you're gonna move on with your life and never think or worry about stupid bestseller lists again. So before I tell you how, I'm gonna explain the orientation of bestseller lists and the frame that you need to look at them through. There are two key things you have to keep in mind for hitting any bestseller list. The first one is velocity of sales. So basically velocity of sales in this case is defined as the amount of book sales within a specific time period. Generally speaking, selling 5,000 copies nonfiction in a year is a really good job for a nonfiction book, right? Uh, if you sell 5,000 copies, you're in the top probably one or 2% of nonfiction books. But the messed up thing is selling 5,000 books in a year won't get you close to a bestseller list. But if you concentrate those sales in a week, now you have a really legitimate shot of hitting those lists. And that's the key concept you have to understand for bestseller lists. It's not how many books you sell, it's how many you sell in a given time frame. Now the time frame changes depending on the list, but in all cases, the faster the velocity of sales, meaning the more sales in the shorter period of time, the better your chances of hitting the list are. This is why for bestseller lists, setting a release date and concentrating all of your marketing around that release date is so important, right? Because setting a release date creates a manageable self-contained window to concentrate all your efforts on and to push all the sales through, that creates the velocity of sales. Now note, this is completely different than the advice we recommend in all other modules uh, uh, where concentration of marketing efforts actually makes them harder. For every other module and for all of our authors, I would highly recommend you not create velocity of sales because it doesn't help you at all unless you're worried about bestseller lists. That's the key thing. The second element of bestseller lists that you've got to understand is reporting of sales. Now, not all book sales count in quotes for bestseller lists because here's the thing. There is no such list that actually measures all book sales from all outlets. It doesn't exist. In the purest sense, there is no such thing as a real bestseller list. In fact, in the resources, I link a blog post where I explain this but essentially what happens is every list has their own method of counting sales. And each list only counts a small fraction of the actual books that are sold. For example, Amazon only counts books sold on Amazon. The New York Times only counts physical bookstores, mostly independent bookstores that it tracks. It does count a few online sellers like Amazon, but it weighs them very, very differently, right? Uh, USA Today uses a different method than Wall Street Journal. They all use different me uh, methods. But the point is, this is super important for you to understand. Bestseller lists are editorial products. They decide, Amazon's is an algorithmic product. It's just the computer reporting on sales. That's it. New York Times, Amazon, Wall Street Journal, all are all editorial products. Publishers Weekly, all editorial products. They use sales in certain outlets as an indicator for them, but they don't actually pretend 
that is a measurement of real sales. In fact, I'm not making this up. An author sued them that sold tons, tens of millions of books, didn't get on the bestseller list, sued the New York Times and lost because the New York Times said, our bestseller list is an editorial product, not a factual product. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is setting yourself up for a chance to hit the list. Now, in order to have a chance at getting on the major bestseller list, you have to do all of these things, all of them. One is you have to get a traditional uh, publishing deal. With the exception of a few fiction genres, the New York Times doesn't recognize as valid any book that doesn't come from the big New York publishing houses. They literally won't put it on their list. Now, this is why most of the self-published or hybrid published books that have sold hundreds of thousands or in some cases millions of copies have never appeared on the list because the New York Times refuses to recognize them. And a good example, James Altucher's book, Choose Yourself. I actually helped him publish that through my publishing company, which is actually prior to Book in a Box. It sold over 500,000 copies in its first three years. In the first week, it sold 25,000 copies. It even appeared on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. No appearances on the New York Times list. Even though it's outsold 99.99% of all nonfiction books that have appeared on that list. Why is that? Again, he didn't publish through the major New York publishing houses, so they won't count it. I should say the Wall Street Journal and the US, USA Today do sometimes recognize self-pub titles, but it does vary. And there's no consistency for them, and they still heavily favor books published from traditional houses. Furthermore, even if you publish with a traditional house, there is no guarantee the New York Times will list your book. Great example is Jordan Peterson. He wrote a book called The 12, uh, 12 Rules for Life, I think it was called. He sold about 50,000 copies the first week. He outsold the number one nonfiction book on the New York Times list by at least 2x. I think it might have been 3x. His book was nowhere on the list. Jordan Peterson, uh, ideologically, is, uh, I guess the New York Times hates him. I don't know. The point is, they wouldn't put his book on, on their list. It's an editorial product. It's not actually about sales. So that's why I say this sets you up for a chance. Nothing's guaranteed. The next thing you have to do is have a plan to get 10,000 pre-orders. Now, it can't be a hope or a wish. If you're just like, oh yeah, I'll hit up my Twitter, it's not gonna work. If you don't have at least 10,000 pre-ordered books through sales channels that the New York Times sees as valid and counts on their list, which basically mainly means physical independent bookstores, not Barnes & Noble, yes, but also heavily weights independent bookstores, you probably aren't gonna hit the list. Now, this means ordered or bought at a store, again, that reports to the appropriate authority, right? You can't just order 5,000 copies from your publisher. They're not gonna count that, they don't care. So how do you get 10,000 pre-orders? There are two ways to do this. You already have an audience that's willing to buy uh, a pre-order your book. That's the main way. So you, you're somebody like Tim Ferriss or Seth Godin or whoever who ha has a big email list and a big blog and you have people waiting to buy your book, which is really hard to do. Or uh, you spend a lot of money and you buy your way onto the list. This is basically cheating. Not really, but it kind of is cheating and it usually costs about $250,000. In fact, there are companies that do this. There's one called Results Source. There's a few others. They used to guarantee they could get you on the list, but the New York Times has actually gotten wise to their tactics, and now I think they have about a 50% hit rate. So uh, you're going to spend a quarter million dollars, and they're only going to guarantee their fee. So if they don't get you on the list, 
you're they'll refund like 25 or 50 grand and you're still out all the books you bought. I know it's crazy, right? So if you don't have an audience and you don't have the money, you're not getting on the list. I just can't make it any clearer. Furthermore, you've got to know the rules of the bestseller list you want to hit. So for example, the New York Times is a survey list, not a tabulation of sales, like I've said multiple times. This means what really what they do in 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 the their mind, they are pulling a curated selection of the most important booksellers to estimate sales. And so essentially what they're trying to do is create the appearance of um, a list of culturally important books. And then they heavily weight those. So if you can write a book that the New York Times thinks is culturally important, you got to really, and sell a two or 3,000 copies, you got a really good chance of hitting the list. But that probably means being in New York. It means being the type of writer that is in the New Yorker that those sort of cultural elites care about. Otherwise, you've got to sell a huge number of copies and you have to, they have to sell in independent bookstores and the New York Times has to think that your book is important enough to put on their list. I know, it's a pain in the ass, but it's true. In the resources, we detail some more of the specifics for the New York Times list. If you really, really want to go over those, you can read those in the resources. Wall Street Journal is another list that's fairly high status. The Wall Street Journal tends to be the most honest list. They generally use Nielsen BookScan data and just use that as their list. BookScan is a, a division of Nielsen Company, the same company that calculates TV ratings. They gather point of sale data for book sales from about 16,000 retail stores that sell books in addition to, I believe they gather data from all major ebook providers. And so uh, they exclude free ebooks and ebooks that sell for 99 cents or less. But um, they, they mainly, the problem with them is they almost exclusively focus on business. And so if they don't define your book as business, it's not going on their list. What we found, we've put several uh, books on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. We found it takes 5,000 sales to hit the list. If you're over 5,000, you're almost certainly going to hit. 3,000 is borderline. Uh, we put James Altucher's book, Choose Yourself, Josh Turner's book, Connect, and a few others on the list. Uh, if you have a decent-sized list, then you can usually get on it. But the important thing is making sure all the sales come from different people. Again, no list counts bulk orders. And, you know, honestly, that makes sense. Like, if you just buy 10,000 of your own books, you're not a bestseller. That's just you spending money. So I understand why they don't do that. The other big list that people talk about is the Amazon bestseller list. Now, there's actually two Amazon bestseller lists. Amazon has actually now, this just happened six months ago. They've actually rolled out an actual bestseller list. And they have most bought and most read. We've put several books on the real Amazon bestseller list. For example, Chasing Excellence by Ben Bercheron uh, and um, The Last Black Unicorn by Tiffany Haddish, which has also been a New York Times bestseller for more than three months as, as I record this and will probably be for quite a while longer. Uh, but Amazon's real bestseller list just rolled out, but a lot of people still call the, the subcategory bestseller a bestseller. If your book goes to number one, in let's say certain subcategories, like um, what's a really good example for Dr. Douglas Brackman's, his book was you know in self help 
and then the subdivision of high performance and the subdivision of uh, neural hacking, right? His book was at number one, I think, in that category for a long time. There are a lot of shady internet marketers who've sold um, bestseller, Amazon bestseller packages that a lot of people have bought and now they call themselves bestselling authors that the word bestselling author that doesn't have Wall Street Journal or New York Times or USA Today attached to it has become really watered down. I would highly recommend for most authors not using bestselling simply because if it's not a major list, you're just making, to people who know, you're making yourself look a little down market. It's totally up to you. There are some very high status, awesome people who use bestseller and they only hit Amazon bestseller. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I wouldn't do it. It's up to you though. All right, let me give you some horror stories about bestseller lists because I've worked on a lot of bestseller campaigns. Uh, so my first book, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, which has sold, it's been out over a decade. It's sold over a million and a half copies. It's been translated into 30 plus, I think 40 languages now. Uh, it actually did hit the bestseller list the first week it came out. The only reason it did is because I had a huge online community associated with my site. And remember, this is 0506. This is this is basically two centuries ago in internet years. And so um, I sold 5,000 copies the first week. And I think 4,800 of those were, were to people who were on my email list or people who were in my sort of like online community. And the second week I sold, I think, 3,500 uh, copies and probably 3,000 of those were to people in my community. And so like that's the only reason I hit the bestseller list. And to be honest, today, I think the New York Times probably wouldn't put my book on the bestseller list. But at the time, no one knew who I was. And so it was just a you know rompish tale of drinking and debauchery, which is still what it is, but I wasn't. Um, uh, in no way was I uh, uh, significant in any culture wars that were raging at the time. So they didn't care. They just put me on the list because my book sold a lot of copies. In fact, the first week I was number 24 on the list. And by sales, I should have been number five or six, I think. So it shows you, even though they put me on the list, they put me way down. Now, I can tell you, it got way harder. Uh, even though, when I I'll tell you the story of when I launched my third book, Hilarity Ensues. Because the reason that's significant is because I ended up getting all three of my books on the bestseller list at the same time. I uh, hope they serve beer in hell, hell, assholes finish first, and hilarity ensues. And I still, to my knowledge, remain one of only three people who've ever done that. Me, Malcolm Gladwell, and Michael Lewis are the only three who've ever put three books on the nonfiction list at the same time. Tim Ferriss hasn't even done this, which I always tease him about. But um, anyway, so that week, that that... That launch was the hardest I've ever done in my life. I believe that launch week, and then remember, this is after a movie's been made about my life, uh, you know, based on my first book. I already have two books out that were both number one bestsellers that have sold millions of copies. Uh, at, the, at that point, they'd already sold maybe about a million copies, million and a half copies, give or take. I'd been in all kinds of media. Like I was very well known at that point. <sighs> the month leading up to Hilarity Ensues, I probably slept six hours a night. Uh, now, I didn't have a big enough team, granted. I was trying to do too much. Uh, but me and Ian and a few other people worked on that book. And the week of the launch, we probably slept four hours a night. I know, I think Ian almost went crazy because we had some issues with publishing he had to fix and lay out. Uh, I probably spent the week of launch 
easily 12 hours a day doing media. And if you think that's easy, do one podcast interview for one hour and see how exhausted you feel. Now do that 12 times in a row. (laughs) I thought I was going to die. It was the worst thing ever. And it wasn't just podcasts. It was, you know, journalists and it was radio and it was uh, TV and it was, it was things that people dream about and think are awesome. I hated it. It was actually after the launch of Hilarity Ensues that I thought I'm, I'm getting out of the celebrity fame business. I hate this. This is awful. Um, I hated every aspect of my life. Uh, and it worked. The book hit number one. But again, that was 10 years of work that led to that. Um, I can tell you I helped my friends Tim uh, Ferris and Charlie Hone launched 4-Hour Body, which was Tim's second book after 4-Hour Workweek. Uh, me and Ryan Holiday were intimately involved in that. Charlie was the lead on that. Uh, I thought literally Charlie was going to die during that launch. <laughs> it was it was between the four of us, and all four of us are real smart and real hardworking. Uh, the launch worked, and, and, and Tim's book blew up, and 4-Hour Body did amazing. But um, we probably took a year or two off our life just in terms of all the stress and all the work and all the details and all the media. Because you got to remember, every media piece, you got to do an interview. Then they want this follow-up thing. They want these pictures. They want this thing. They want you to promote that. Uh, in Tim's case, we did a massive, uh, set up a massive giveaway. So Charlie was trying to organize all, like, all of the emails all of this sort of, uh, you know, uh, sales coming through, um, all of the, the addresses. This is before really large-scale, cheap, efficient drop shipping. So he had to organize all the shipping of thousands of books. Uh, I mean, it was like the poor dude, man. Like, uh, like he was, I think, 26 at the time. He looked like he was 50 at the end of that launch. Like he's recovered now and he's doing fine. But um, – it was tough, man. I, 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 I could go through a, a dozen other launches. They're awful. They're awful things. Now, if you are a professional writer, like when, when I was writing books, that was my job. Tim, that's a big part of his job. Seth Godin, uh, like go on the list of all the people we've helped. That's their job. And so, okay, you, you build your audience and you build and you build and then you have two weeks of hell and you just endure it because that's part of your job, right? But if that's not your job... Not only can you not endure that, probably, you're not prepared for it and you don't know what to do. Like, notice in Tim's case, he hired, he had uh, Charlie full-time, who uh, two or three VAs who were effectively full-time, plus he hired me and Ryan and we had two full-time people. That was right at the beginning of Brass Check. Charlie, uh, so Tim had a whole team of people that he paid a lot of money for. And he was pretty famous from 4-Hour Workweek. And he understood media. And I had a ton of connections. And Ryan had connections. And Charlie is really good at this stuff. He'd helped me before. If you don't have a team like that and an audience like that, not going to happen. Just not going to happen. In fact, what you're going to do is become overwhelmed and scramble and fail miserably and hate yourself and spend a bunch of money and it'll, I've, I've seen that happen too. I've seen a lot of authors try and do this without really understanding what goes into it. Think about your profession. Think about the people that hire you. If, if, if what you do, if you're a financial advisor or a lawyer or a coach or a consultant, people probably think what you do is easy until they try and do it themselves. 
and then they realize how terrible it is and they hire you, right? Think of hitting a bestseller list and a book launch the same way. It looks easy because you're only seeing it from the outside. You're not understanding the work that goes into it. Unless you want to make this your job, then I would highly recommend you don't do it. You'll hate it. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you found this episode valuable, then definitely check out our free online workshops at scribebookschool.com. During the workshop, we'll teach you our exact step-by-step process for how to write, publish, and market your book. It's totally free, and you can watch it right from the comfort of your home. Again, you can sign up at scribebookschool.com. And beyond that, you can support the podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned because we have a lot of good stuff coming on Scribe Book School. Scribe Book School.